Good morning, Forest View. Good morning. My name is Paul. I'll be uh, teaching this morning. If, you, if you're new to Forest View or newish to Forest View, you don't know who I am. I am part of the staff team in here, and I lead our, uh, I lead our outreach ministry, and occasionally I preach, and so I'm glad to be here this morning. I love this series that we're going through on Romans 12. I've loved the liturgy. Uh, taking all of Romans 1 to 11 and just working through it week by week and then preaching through Romans 12, uh, which is what we've been doing. And so at the risk of repet repetition, I'm going to read to you again verses 1 and 2 from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Or in other words, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, choosing to live counter to the culture you are immersed in. And this is what we're looking at through, uh, through these four weeks. And you'll remember that Craig set that up for us two weeks ago. And then last week, we were looking at this idea of generosity as a countercultural practice. Generosity in a world of entitlement. We looked at how the spiritual gifts are gifts that are not for us to be uh, consumed by ourselves or for our own self-centeredness, but they're to be gifts that are given generously in the service of others. And next week, we're going to be looking at the idea of peacemaking. In this notion of, uh, in this world that we live that seeks fairness, we're going to be saying, as, as Christians called to live counterculturally, we are to be peacemakers. And today we want to talk about the idea of hospitality. In a world of fear, we are to be people who seek to be hospitable, to reach out in hospitality. Romans 9 to 12 says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zero, but never be lacking in zero, zeal. <laughs> but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. A better rendering of that word practice would be pursue hospitality. We are to be people who pursue it in the way that we pursue other things in life, the way that we pursue our career, the way that we pursue our education, the way that we pursue our family, the way that we pursue our fitness and our goals to run that marathon or whatever it might be. We pour ourselves into these things, and God is saying, Paul is saying in this passage, God is speaking to us through Paul, pursue hospitality in these ways. Care about it. Act with it. Pursue it with zeal. We pointed out last week uh, that hospitality has become an, in an industry. Mike mentioned that as he was preaching to us. Last week I heard a, uh, a CBC Ideas documentary on the idea of the restaurant industry and how the restaurant industry has become a place where social distinctions and class lines are reflected and reinforced. And we can imagine that, right? We understand that there are restaurants for people who have little means and there are restaurants for people who have modest means and then there are restaurants that are people who have lots of means. And so the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, has become a place where social distinctions are reinforced. People who come down and visit us at next door understand this all the time. They look at next door and they see the storefront, the glass windows, you can see in 
into the, uh, into the glass, and the people who are there, people of modest means, often people who are struggling with social uh, issues and poverty, coming in for a free soup lunch or a toonie breakfast, and then they make the, uh, the observation that down at the other end of the plaza is this place with these dark, I don't know, are they oak doors? They're very heavy. You can't see in. You don't know what's behind there. They got a brand new facade and their meals are really expensive. Over at next door, you have bikes leaning against the glass window. Uh, people walk or they ride their bikes there. Nobody rides their bikes to the Lord Nelson, except for the cook who comes around the back, but they drive Bentleys. And my favorite is the Tesla SUV that parks right out front all the time, not even in a parking spot. People recognize this. There's this distinction between this, and this is what hospitality has become. Hospitality as an industry has segregated us into classes, and this is not what Paul is talking about. This is not what he is imagining when he is calling us to be people of hospitality. We need to recover a Christian understanding of hospitality if this is what hospitality has become. When, he wrote, when Paul wrote to the Romans, he was writing to a mixed audience. He was writing to a group of people who would have been Jewish Christians. Um, he would have been writing to a group of people who were, who were Gentile Christians. And so their own understandings, their own backgrounds, and their, their notions of hospitality would have varied. For the, for, the, um, for the Gentile Christians, they would have understand hospitality in a Greco-Roman uh, framework. And so Paul, when he talks about hospitality, he is talking about hospitality in contrast to the Greek or Roman understanding. And for the Jews, he's talking about hospitality in continuation of the Jewish understanding of hospitality. And invariably, as Christian hospitality, he is talking about hospitality as something that is subversive and something that is sacred. How is Christian hospitality in contrast to the Greco-Roman understanding? Well, the Greco-Roman understanding of hospitality was this tit-for-tat idea. I will do it for you if you do it for me. Christine Pohl says uh, Greco-Roman hospitality was about what you were going to get out of the exchange. Greco-Roman hospitality stressed formal reciprocal obligations between benefactor and recipient because a grateful response from the beneficiary was key to the ongoing relationship, the tradition emphasized the worthiness and goodness of recipients rather than their need. Pause for a sec here. I wonder if sometimes this is how we treat hospitality. Do you ever find yourself saying, um, we can't have them over because we had them over last time. It's their turn to have us over or you know, something like that. We sometimes maybe this understanding of hospitality has crept into our own views and we need to maybe be cautious of that and ask ourselves, is that what Paul is thinking about when he talks about hospitality? Hospitality is also in continuation of the Jewish understanding of hospitality. For the Jews, um, their narrative is this, that they were exiles, they were slaves, they were sojourners for 400, they were slaves in Egypt, they were sojourners for 400 years in the desert, and then God brought them into the promised land. And God said, now that you have your land, you, as you were once sojourners and foreigners, you need to be hospitable to the foreigners who are amidst your land, who are now in your place. You need to be hospitable to them. That was the general rule that God gave the Jewish people around hospitality, but he also gave very specific rules around hospitality. For example, the, uh, the law of reaping. So 
We'll read these scriptures. When you reap the harvest of the land, God says to the Jews, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. If you're familiar with the story of Ruth in the book of Ruth, you'll recognize how the law of gleaning was applied in that situation. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was a foreigner uh, coming into Bethlehem, into Israel. And Boaz followed this rule. Boaz was the landowner. He said to his laborers, when you glean, leave the corners, leave the grain so that Ruth can come in behind and glean and she can be provided for in that way. That was the extension of hospitality following the specific command that God had given to the Jewish people. So when Paul is speaking about hospitality, he is speaking about it in continuation of the Jewish understanding of hospitality. It's a charitable understanding of hospitality. Christian hospitality, however, is more than that. Christian hospitality is these two things that I said. It is invariably subversive and it is invariably sacred. It's invariably subversive because the practice of hospitality as we already noted, establishes and can, if it's not done well, establish and reinforce social relationships. And we notice its more subversive character only when socially undervalued persons are welcomed. In Luke 14, Jesus tells us this story. He gives a, a parable called the Great Banquet. And he follows that with his teaching. He says, if you're going to give a banquet, if you're going to have people over, don't just have your friends and your family, but invite the poor, the lame, the forgotten. Include them. Extend the table to those who are marginalized in some way. This is Christian hospitality. The countercultural act is mo on most display when we extend the welcome to the stranger the poor, and the lonely. So Christian hospitality is subversive. Christian hospitality is also sacred. It's sacred in this way, in that Jesus is present in the exchange of hospitality. Not only are we like Jesus when we extend hospitality, but Jesus is the recipient of our hospitality. So we are like Jesus, we extend hospitality, but in a mysterious way, Jesus is actually the recipient of our hospitality. In the road of, uh, on the road to Emmaus, the story of these two disciples living in this strange time where Jesus, their hoped for Messiah, had been crucified. And some things had been happening days after. They had heard stories of the women going to the, to the tomb and that the, uh, that the body wasn't there. They'd heard stories of angels appearing and they were living in this sort of strange time where their hopes were dashed but something else was going on and they were walking down the road to Emmaus and they were talking about these things and a stranger comes along and starts to walk with them and starts to explain some things to them. And they get to this junction and the stranger says, I'm going to carry on. And they say, no, no, it's too late in the day. You need to come in with us. Come and be our guest in our home. And so the stranger goes with these two men into their home, receives their hospitality. And at that time, as they break bread together, the eyes of the two men are opened and they realize that it's Jesus in their midst. The one that they are extending hospitality to is Jesus. Matthew 25, Jesus speaks about the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says, when you give 
it's my rough paraphrase, when you give a cup of cold water, when you give to the person who is thirsty, when you give food to the hungry, when you give clothing to the naked, you are, in essence, giving that to me, Jesus. When we extend hospitality to the forgotten, to the marginalized, we are extending hospitality to Jesus. And so hospitality in the Christian understanding is sacred. It is mysterious. Sounds great, right? It's sacred and mysterious. But how do we practically understand that? How do we practically do hospitality and have this profound experience how do we see Christ in the stranger? How do we see Christ in the poor? Well, I think there's two things here. First, it's, it's an act of faith. It's believing and understanding that Jesus meant this when he said, when you're caring for the poor, you're caring for Jesus. And so it's an act of faith. But it's also a discipline. We need to look at the people who we are caring for, the people who we are extending hospitality towards, and believe and look for and remind ourselves that they are made in the image of Christ, that they bear Christ, and that we are then extending hospitality. So we need to ask ourselves, how do we see Christ in this person? I was at Next Door yesterday. We got some good news for you, actually. I'm going to take a pause and give you a bit of a commercial. Our breakfast at Next Door, which we started back in, back in December, which we have loved, and I know many of you have come to, we're excited to be able to go from a monthly breakfast to a weekly breakfast. And that happened because Jefferson said, you know, we're working with our youth group. and We've got so many youth who want to come down. It'd be great if we could do it twice a week. And I said, well, it'd be great if we could find two more churches who'd come along, do one a month, and then we could do it every week. And so that's what we're doing. And so these last two weeks, we've been training these new churches, uh, getting them equipped to run a breakfast. And so yesterday, we had a breakfast uh, led by one of the other churches, and I was down there helping them get started. And then I sat down and was having my own breakfast and coffee. And in walks a guy, I'll call him Brandon. Brandon, we haven't seen for about a year. Brandon's a young man who has lots of struggles in life, who has lived in the neighborhood for years, uh, but recently he told me had had to leave for various reasons, and he sat down beside me. He really wanted his coffee, smelling of alcohol, coming off a hard night, and he started to tell me a bit of his story, and he said, will you pray for me? And so I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to be Christ to you in that way. And so I was praying for him, and then after I finished praying, he looks up at me, and he says, I want to pray. And he says, I want to pray for my friend, who's got his own struggles and hardships. And so Brandon begins praying for this other friend with his own struggles and his own hardships. And I can reflect on that and I can say, I was being Christ to him, I was praying for him, I was being priestly in that way. But look at him, he was also being a priest on behalf of his friend. He was being Christ in that way. It's this discipline. How do we understand this mystery, this sacred nature of encountering Christ in the poor and the forgotten. It's a discipline, and it's looking for it and asking, where is that present? Where is Christ present in this person? So that's Christian hospitality. So how do we maybe answer the question, where does it begin for us? So if we get the idea of Christian hospitality, how do we begin? Well, Paul says in Romans 12 that it begins within amongst us. It begins within the community of believers. He says we are to share with the Lord's people who are in need. In Galatians, he says, do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of faith. So Christian hospitality begins 
within and amongst us. It begins within our own community. In the early church, the meal was central to hospitality. The church was comprised of the rich and the poor, mostly the poor. It was comprised of, of Jews and Gentiles. And, it was, and as a result of that, there were tensions that had to be worked out. There were understandings that they had to come to in terms of how they were going to live together as a community of Jesus followers. And that was done as, extended, as, as hospitality was extended, as they practiced hospitality and having a meal together that they could work out these differences. Well, no surprise to us, we're not a homogenous community. As a church, we have differences amongst us. We have uh, generational differences. We are increasingly diverse in terms of uh, where we come from and our ethnic origin and our countries that we come from, and we think that's a wonderful thing. And we recognize that we don't all agree on theology. We don't all agree on our politics. And we need to get to know each other. Because if we live in isolation from each other and let these differences just sit outside and we, only, and we practice hospitality the ways that has become where we are segregated from one another, then we are never going to form trust. We are never going to get to know each other. And we are going to be a segregated community that, uh, where there is a lack of trust and, there is a, and we are living in isolation from one another. And so hospitality for us creates space to get to know someone. If there is someone who you're concerned about, about the way they think or the way they believe or the way they behave, I hope that you will talk to them. I hope that you will sit down and have a meal with them or have a coffee with them and have conversation and come to know them and understand them and understand their heart so that trust can form and differences can be understood. Good news. We've already announced today that we're having a soup lunch. It's actually going to be a barbecue because why not, right? It's summer's not completely over. Okay, well, maybe it is, but it's not winter yet. We can still barbecue. So you barbecue when you can. So we're going to have a barbecue over in the warehouse, and there's more instructions on that to come. But for us, I think the caution is, is that these series of soup lunches, barbecues, whatever they are, that we don't just treat them as a strategy to try and accomplish hospitality, but rather that we understand hospitality needs to become a part of our DNA. It's not something that we try and evaluate, and if it worked, great. If it didn't work, move on to something else. Hospitality needs to embed itself into our lives. It needs to form us. We need to become different people because we are a people of hospitality. The form and the practice may change. Maybe soup lunches only happen for a little while. But hospitality needs to be something that we, we become. It needs to be part of who we are as a community. In the ancient settings, um, hospitality would always start in the, in the public spaces. We know that hospitality was practiced in the private home, that people were more willing to open up their homes. But the, uh, the encounter with the stranger always happened in public spaces. There were more public spaces maybe then than there are now. The marketplaces, the city gates, the temples. People would gather and get to know each other and you'd come to understand the stranger a little bit and then you would welcome them into your home. Well, maybe these soup lunches become our public spaces. Maybe they become the public spaces where we first get to know each other, where we look for someone we don't know and sit down and talk to them and build trust and build relationship. And then that carries on into opening up our doors to each other, opening up our homes to each other, meeting each other in third spaces, continuing to build these relationships, 
continuing to build trust and understand each other. So hospitality begins within the community of believers, but it presses out. It presses out from there. Hospitality needs to move into our neighborhoods and our workplaces. We need to become people who are visible in these places. I heard a podcast once on leadership, and the guy being interviewed said leadership for him is walking around. And what he meant by that is leadership is just walking around the office and being visible to people, caring about people, being interested in them. And maybe we can take that and apply it to our neighborhoods and workplaces. And we can be hospitable people simply by being visible and by being, putting ourselves in positions where we can encounter them. Maybe we have our coffee instead of on our back deck, we have it on our front stoop. No, I don't like that idea, actually. I really like my back deck. But maybe in other ways, you find ways that work for you, that you are visible in your neighborhood and that you are present to people in some, in some capacity. I have, a, <laughs> I have a dad. My dad is how I should start the story. My dad was like this in his workplace. Forgive me if I've told this story before, but my dad uh, worked most of his career over the Ford plant. He was by no means an executive, but he was a white-collar guy. He worked in the payroll department. But he would, and there was, there was this divide between the guys in the payroll department, the white collars and the blue collars. There was this white collar, blue collar divide. It was a union, non-union divide. And he, but my dad would get up at lunch hour and he would enjoy walking around the plant. And he would hang out with these guys in the plant. He would have lunch with them. And he would do this. And he, he had no probably subversive agenda at that time. He just enjoyed these guys. He just enjoyed hanging out with them. He did this for years, to the point where when he retired, the guys in the office gave him a set of golf clubs, the guys in the plant gave him a union jacket. That never happens. Guys in the office don't get union jackets. My dad got a union jacket because he understood somehow that there was a divide that needed to be broken down. And so he would just go and he would hang out with these guys. We made we need to be people who get out and walk around and break down the divides and look for these people in our lives, in our spheres, who are lonely and forgotten and who have pain, and we need to be open and present in their lives. We press out beyond our own community into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, and then as we've also talked about already, we understand that Christian hospitality has to continue to press out among the poor and the stranger. Hospitality, if we break that down and understand the Greek a bit more, and Mike helped us with that last week, um, we would see that there's two parts to the word. There's the word philo, which we defined last, last week as, as love for the kin, love for our, like brotherly love, brother, uh, love for our, our brother or our sister, and xenos, stranger. Hospitality is love for the stranger. So where are you going to encounter people in that sense? The poor, the lonely, the forgotten. Is it while you're walking down Bay Street on your way to the office or Jackson, Jackson Square, wherever it might be in these urban settings where you find yourself five days a week? If not, maybe you need to be intentional and think about other things. Maybe you need to be part of the breakfast team that goes down to Kerr Street and you need to sit down and have a coffee or a breakfast with someone, a Kerr Street mission, or at next door. Or you need to volunteer at Micah House in Hamilton and be amongst refugee claimants, some of the most marginalized people in our society right now. You might need to think about how you can put yourself in places where you are encountering 
the most marginalized among us in some way because that's what Christian hospitality is. That's what God is calling us back to. We said early on that, the, that hospitality, the opposite to that is fear. So let's finish by talking about what are we afraid of? Possibly we are just afraid of the other. There's a McLean's article out right now that talks about how increasingly as a society we are becoming fearful of the refugee claimants, the people who are coming across our borders, coming across entry points that are, that are not proper entry points, and we're worried about what the impact is going to be on our social infrastructure, what the impact is going to be on our economy, and we're worried. And you might have good reason to be worried, but if that worry becomes fear, and if those people, if refugee claimants in your mind become your enemy, as a result, you need to revisit that. You need to check that, and you need to challenge yourself on this, because hospitality says to love the stranger, not to make them your enemy. You don't have to change your political views. You don't have to change your belief in due process or stronger, secure, stronger borders. But hospitality says, you're going to get to know this person. You're going to get to understand their story. And you're going to love them, even if you are scared of them. In fact, hospitality will be that antidote to fear. And there might be other situations, other people groups, that fear, that, are, that, that make you scared. Maybe the Danforth shootings and the stuff that happened up on Young Street with the van leaves you scared of people who struggle with mental health. Because you think, if those two people were struggling with mental health, maybe everyone, and your, your, your fears become irrational. You need to challenge that. And you need to be in the presence of people who are living with mental health and understand that that's not what's going to happen with everyone. That those are isolated incidents. You need to understand the story and extend love to them as the stranger to you. What's holding us back? It may just be fear of the other, but more concretely, in more practical ways, it may be that we are fearful of conversation, that we don't know how to have conversation. A good friend of mine in Edmonton has been running discipleship programs for young adults for years, for 25 years, and what he's noticed over the 25 years is that young adults, people out of high school, don't know how to have conversation anymore. So he actually, early in this program, will sit them down, over a table, across from each other, and teach them how to have conversation. You know, like, you ask them a question, let them ask you a question, you listen, you respond, you look them in the eye. And why, of course, do people, have we lost the art of conversation? Well, of course, we're going to blame the devices in our pockets. We know that. But this is a lost art. Maybe you are fearful of having conversation because you think you don't know how to have conversation. Maybe it's because you simply don't know what to do. How do I practice hospitality? I, I can't open up my doors to someone. I can't have someone in my home for various reasons, safety reasons, you're not sure. And I, I think that's, that's rational and reasonable. You need to practice precautions in those ways. I think about Nick. Nick was a guy from a church that Elizabeth and I ministered out of many years ago in Edmonton. Nick was um, an older gentleman, Eastern European, didn't speak a lot of English, but he knew that he needed to practice hospitality. So we loved Nick because every summer he would get in his little Volkswagen Rabbit, drive down to the Okanagan from Edmonton, load up his little Volkswagen Rabbit with peaches, and drive straight home again 
and he would go around to people's houses and deliver peaches from the Okanagan. Nothing better. Maybe peaches from Niagara are better. I'm not sure. They're both equally good. Nick knew he had, to, he had to do something, so he would show up at people's doors with peaches. Maybe you just need to do something to say, I am going to reach out to people who are in need. I am going to reach out to the stranger, to the neighbor, whoever it might be. You need to do something. And maybe you feel like you just don't have the time or the energy. You don't have the, the space in your life to practice hospitality because the way it's being described here sounds really demanding. It sounds like it's opening up the door for more. And that's right, it is. And so hospitality for us, to practice Christian hospitality, it's not just setting aside a small time in our week and saying, I'm going to do this. That might be the starting point. But in the end, you're going to realize that it might be about reordering your life. It might be a whole drastic change to your lifestyle because in, in the reordering of priorities, if you want to do Christian hospitality the way it's described to us. A last thought on this from Christine Pohl. She says, while we might imagine the living sacrifice of Roman 12, Romans 12 in terms of one moment of heroic martyrdom, Faithful hospitality usually involves laying our lives down in little pieces in small acts of sacrificial love and service. Friends, who can you extend welcome to here in the community of faith? And then pressing out into your neighborhood, school or workplace, who is the person that you need to get to know? Is it Bay Street? Or pressing out even further, where do you encounter the poor, the lonely, or the forgotten? Is it Bay Street or Jackson Square walking to the office? Or do you need to put yourself in a position to extend mercy, serving at Kerr Street next door or Micah House? Whatever it is we must do, may God be with us in this holy pursuit.